the sea ice it collides together it breaks apart it's you know at times you have to swim you know there's a real danger of falling through the ice it's bitterly bitterly cold you know anything from minus five down to about i think the coldest we had it was was minus 50 55 at one point centigrade but it at the same time it's just it's such an amazing part of the planet to to visit Well, hello and a very warm welcome to the Supporting Champions podcast. My name is Steve Ingham and I'm a performance scientist by trade, having spent my career working with the best performers and developing teams in the pursuit of improving performance. And the idea behind this podcast is to lift back the curtain a little and explore the principles, the complexities and subtleties of performance so that we can better understand this thing that drives us to reach for more for more achievement and for the richer experience of climbing higher. Helping me explore these concepts are people who've achieved, been the driving force behind performance and some who have researched aspects of performance in real depth. And this week's guest is polar explorer Anthony Jinman, a former naval officer and mountain leader. Anthony was the 12th Briton to ski to both the geographic North and South Pole. And in this interview, Anthony shares the ups and downs of his career, in particular coping and managing with depression. And he shares with us some of the demands of designing and funding and managing an expedition offset against actually doing the training for it too. Uh, But if there's one message that comes through loud and clear in this podcast, then it's purpose. Anthony is completely aligned to why he does these adventures, what he is connected to, and who he's connected to, and the reason he does what he does. Anthony Jimman, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah. <laughs> so 12th Britain to have skied to the geographic north and south pole. Uh, fascinating stuff. I really want to to get into Um uh, but we're we're grounded in sport in supporting champions, but we're fascinated by anyone who has pursued some sort of endeavour uh, that's out of their reach or that that they feel is uh, is going to stretch them. So um, amazing uh, to hear about your experiences. Would you would you open us up a little bit and just talk to us about your kind of your background in your early years? Where, where, where have you sort of come from? Uh, I grew up in or just outside Plymouth in in Devon. Um, my background is that I was fascinated by at a very early age about wildlife and the animals and different uh, different environments around the world. And I remember in, in primary school, we did a, uh, a topic around Captain Scott, who was also from Plymouth. Um, and learned about Antarctica and, and and found out about penguins and seals and whales and thought, wow, you know, wouldn't it be wouldn't it be amazing if one day I could see a, a really a penguin in in real life? And I had way too many penguin cuddly toys when I was when I was younger, <laughs> <laughs> embarrassingly now. Um, but uh, so yeah, I, I think from a very early age I was captivated by the history of of Plymouth, uh, the city, and of you know this, uh, the wildlife that um, that lives in different different environments around the world. So the environment, the, the history of Plymouth, 
as a naval base and a, a base that, that so many expeditions around the world uh, originated from that that served as a as an inspiration for your early interests Ah, oh, huge um you know being fascinated by the sea um you know, and, and as, as you as you point out, you know, as a naval base, I mean, there's so many expeditions, so many so many um, different projects left from you know Plymouth or from the Southwest in in, in general. And Darwin set set sail from Plymouth. You know, Cook went from Plymouth. Um, you know, Scott was born and raised there, and it's yeah, so all of that really rich history uh, kind of really captured my imagination quite quite early on um yeah and and is that something that you when in your early studies or in schooling that you started to think i'm going to plot a course towards this um even rather than necessarily expeditions around the world or uh naval battles (laughs) what (laughs) what was the what was the early uh thoughts there yeah so when i went into into secondary education that's when things really started to go a bit wrong actually for me um i i went to a school which was very much focused around you know hitting gcse's a levels and then you know pushing young people towards going to university now everything was going okay until i did my my gcse's and i did and I, I was a grade C student, you know, that's, that's, you know, where, uh, where I was at. Um, I was still encouraged to do A levels, but within, uh, the space of a, a couple of months, I'd been dropped or politely asked to, <laughs> to drop, um, um, my, uh, most of my A levels. So I, I came out with a, um, a B in, in A level geography. Um, but that was it. And so, you know, suddenly I was there going, well, now what am I going to do? And, and and that's that dream of an interest in wildlife and in in Antarctica was largely forgotten about because I wasn't I didn't have a science mind. I didn't have a science background. The idea of working for British Antarctic Survey or something like that was I was never going to achieve that. Um right. So the computer printout at the time that I got, which was my career advice, um, <laughs> you, you know, you didn't even see said, somebody. Oh, I didn't even see anyone. You know, it was, a, it was the classic, you know, um, you know, fill out your interests and, and they'd send back, you know, a printout of, of, uh, jobs that you're best suited to. And, and mine was just full of, of public services, you know, you're, you're perfect for public services. So I was, right. I was like, right. Okay. Well, so I thought, well, um, the Navy, you know, Scott was, Scott was in the Navy. Um, the Navy still go to Antarctica. So maybe that might be a good route. Um, yeah. so I actually applied as being a, um, a, a surveyor uh, in the navy. Uh, I really enjoyed my training. I got out on board ship, which, funnily enough, was was HMS Scott. Um, hmm. But I quickly realised that actually naval life, being on board a ship, wasn't quite for me. And within well, just under two years, I um, I was suffering from uh, from depression. I I felt that I'd made a very bad 
career move. I didn't like being away from from friends and family uh, for you know uh, long periods. So um, so I was I was feeling really down and really depressed with myself, and it got to the point where. Um, suffering from um, from that level of depression that I had to be flown home whilst the ship was on deployment and I received a, a medical discharge as being unfit for naval life. So my early career choice was not the best move for me at that time. Are you able to pinpoint what was the sort of cause of that depression in terms of the, the sense of you're feeling lost or yeah, I didn't quite complete what I was setting to do. What, do you, can you pinpoint what that cause was? Yeah. So when did I join the Navy? I joined the Navy when I was 20, yeah, about 20. So I, I felt at the time that there was a lot of pressure in terms of um, having to find a career and having to you know, start that career straight out of, of school and college. But um, it was, I suppose, being on board a on board a ship away from home and not being able to, I suppose, express myself, which I had previously done through, I suppose, being active in, in the outdoors. And I, I suppose the, the, the next six months after after leaving the Navy was probably one of the most uh, challenging times of my of my life the there wasn't a great deal of support back then um and when i say back then you know it was literally about what 15 20 years ago um so when i received my interview at the captain's table um i had literally they gave me the you know the the rubber stamp yes we agree you know agree that uh, you'll be discharged and i walked out of the the naval base thinking well now what you know and there was no follow up support from uh, you know in terms of uh, meeting you know a doctor or or mental health support package there was literally i just walked out of the naval base <laughs> going okay um now what and and I still was completely lost in terms of what am I going to do next and and so that transition back into you know, you know I suppose you know normal normal life civilian life was um, was really tough I was I was living at home my parents knew full well that I had been you know I had been flown home um, I don't think they really believed that um, you know, that, you know, I was suffering and still was at that point suffering from, from depression. I, you know, I was really kind of, I was still trying to figure out my place in the, in the world. Okay. So elements of being in, in the military around, uh, conformity, uh, process, discipline, rigor, routine, as opposed to freedom, uh, <laughs> Uh, that, <laughs> that sense of uh, possibilities, um, I suppose. I suppose it's not something that would be generally encouraged to sort of say, "I know we're, I know we're supposed to be on a mission to go over there, could, but could we go over there?" Um, <laughs> and having that that uh, sense of discovery, you know, that discipline, that sense of routine. I actually, I actually love that. Um, right. And you know, the the Territorial Army taught me that having a routine helps me overcome 
overcome currents um not necessarily depression but low moments in my life i i need to have routine and purpose in my in my world um could you give us a few examples of that anthony um yeah so um examples i i have my own gym at home um i have my own uh i have a springer door um a dog called alfie who's uh he, who's amazing uh, so he <laughs> he um you know he takes me out uh walking or running twice a day <laughs> he takes uh, you out because uh, it puts a lead on you it's not the other way around it's definitely <laughs> he takes me out <laughs> so he's got lots of energy um you know i i i feel that i have to um, I have to do uh, my gym work um, because I'm I'm then you know I feel happy in myself and in my own in my own body. Um, if I don't do any of that, if I let myself you know have a, a period where I'm I'm not being um, I'm not being uh, fit and and I'm not you know having that that sense of exercise um then i start feeling really bad in my in myself mentally um and i think you know that was you know made even worse when i was on board the ship because you know suddenly i i, I felt very trapped and i couldn't uh i couldn't um uh, have that physical uh, kind of you know release like you know and so you know i started feeling very unhappy within myself and i you know, I, I I was starting to calorie count. I was looking at what I was eating, and it was kind of like a a bit of a a spiraling, um, uh, you know, pits pit that I was you know sliding into. So, um, so yeah, but that but those things work really well um, in in going into the expeditioning world because okay. you know you have to calorie count you have to have a routine you have to you know you have to manage and um and and work out you know like a bigger project and have have you know it's a it's a challenge to be to be solved and and so i find you know the expeditioning world and um and now what i do within you know with my business as well i need to have a physical and mental challenge um to you know to keep me strong if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. That sounds like a, an interesting trajectory where you're coming out of this. Um, you, you then started to pick yourself back up and start to rediscover and connect with the things that you really love. And you found a role in that challenging environment. And how did that then start to act as a springboard towards these, these more, um, I suppose, adventurous expeditions in terms of polar work? Yeah, so I, I remember my my first trip with Explore Worldwide was was out to Slovenia, um, which you know that was my training month with them. I then went on and and did six months up in uh, northern Sweden, working at the Ice Hotel. Uh, so I was helping out with, you know, with husky taking uh, taking clients on husky trips, um, uh, watching the northern lights, snowshoeing, skiing, meeting the Sami people. And, and suddenly I was like, wow, you know, there's, there's a whole world out here that's, <laughs> you know, um, and I'm still learning, you know, learning doesn't stop just because you leave the classroom or you leave formal education. There's, there's a whole world out there. So I, I really found my, my passion for, for travel and for meeting, you know, different, different people. Um, and I was getting paid to do that. And so I spent the next, 
you know, three years of my life uh, traveling and working for Explore Worldwide um, and loved every minute of it. You know, I, I've, you know, been a safari guide in the in the Serengeti. I've I've taken trips up Kilimanjaro. I've taken, you know, uh, cultural hiking trips around Iran and and um, and seen you know Persopolis and learned learned about Persian culture and you know I cracky if you look back at 16 year old me and said well you'd have a fascination and an interest in Persian poetry it would have laughed <laughs> you know so um, I love you know I love to love to travel um, saved up enough money went to Plasny Brennan in, in North Wales and completed the, their very first uh, instructor fast track program and walked out of of, uh, of that as a an international mountain leader um, at aged 25. So my my goal in my life was okay, I want to be an expedition leader and I couldn't do that at age 22. So you know, but I achieved it at 25. Um, and as an expedition leader, I was I was suddenly able to take people on uh, even more adventurous uh, travel uh, travel projects, and uh, went out to um, uh, Greenland's with uh, the charity BSES as a as an expedition leader, um, and fell in love with. Um, with Greenland's and I'd already spent a lot of time inside the Arctic Circle in Scandinavia and I I started to specialize in the in the Arctic um, and was fortunate enough to go on a another expedition to to a place called Baffin Islands uh, in northern Canada and fell in love with uh, Inuit culture that was in 2006 um, 2007 I decided to put together my own expedition um and got funding from the winston churchill memorial trust um and went over to baffin island with a, a very good friend of mine and and, and uh, teammate uh, vj and we had an incredible time documenting uh, inuit culture and this changing arctic landscape uh that i then started talking about in in schools and developing my own school outreach program and and um and that was the start of it all really just falling in love with with the arctic wow okay so i want to talk to you a little bit about the the school work that that you're doing yeah um, and and this winston winston churchill trust and that's that sounds interesting just about how you kick these things off but so what i'm hearing is that you you spent a bit of time in snowdonia and then you thought I can do that. So I'm going to take on the world. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, it's, it's interesting. I've never, I never set out to, well, I set out to see a penguin in Antarctica. I never, <laughs> I never. Not, not in North Wales. You didn't. Well, yeah, but that was, you know, in terms of big, big picture planning, you know, once, you know, I, I, the Navy didn't work out, you know, but that was, that was a mechanism to get, hopefully get me down to get me down south. And, and so, you know, you know, I still had a big plan. Now it's funny, the, the, <laughs> at age 36, I finally got to see my penguin on Antarctica and I, I'd already been to Antarctica twice before and I'd skied solo all the way to the South Pole in, uh, when I was 30, 33, uh, 34. But I, 
no penguins live at the South Pole, right? So, so, so I had to go back a few times to uh, to actually um, to, to get my to get to see my elusive penguin, but it happens eventually. But <laughs> that sounds like your Olympic gold medal moment, um, the the penguin sighting. Um, oh, it was. Yeah. <laughs> so, so how do you how do you go about uh, building uh, a polar? expedition i mean you, you sound like you've got some precedence there of seeking some funding for another expedition but is that is that where it starts you've got to get the funding first how do you how do you hatch the plan for it yeah so i, I suppose having said that i'd never meant to be you know a polar adventurer i i think what i recognized was i had a passion for the arctic to begin with uh, i loved the inuit and sami um, the Sami uh, different cultures. So I wanted to share those early experiences into in, in with schools. And so I started putting together expeditions to help to help me gain further stories and experiences that I could retell into into schools. So the expeditions were almost the um, the secondary the secondary reason, you know, for for going to that location. For me, it was about documenting the journey in order to create content and a story that I could use within my school outreach programs. So I'm I'm fascinated by that because. I think that the knee-jerk reaction when you think and look at um, explorers is the it's almost the Mallory quote that when he was asked by the New York Times journalist, why do you want to climb Mount Everest? And he retorted, because it's there. Yeah, so yeah. there's a sense of, I just want to sort of do that. Um, and I think, I think this is an interesting concept because I think a lot of athletes – fixate on an outcome uh, a gold yeah. medal um a finishing time th- these sorts of things as opposed to i'm doing this for a bigger purpose in my life so can you un- can you unpack that for us what was that driving force what was the the motivation what was the in- inspiration that you wanted to give back to schools oh that's very very simple i mean it, you know i used to go into schools um and i i haven't done this for a couple of years i <laughs> I think uh, takeaway from this is I need to go back to start doing this, but um, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, you're you're welcome. You see, you yeah. get it off your chest, and, uh, yes. and you, you, uh, before you know it, you're going to be off somewhere else, you, aren't you? You're jogging my memory. No, no I, South I Wales this time. But <laughs> <laughs> no, I used to uh, I used to take photographs of um, you know um, uh, printed out into postcards. Um, and I used to go into into a class, and when I at the end of the um, at the end of the class, um, I used to um, ask the children to uh, tell me, you know, what their name and, and what they would like to like to be, and I would I would sign a postcard for every every child in the class, and I started doing that because. Um, you know, children were coming up with like scrap pieces of paper. You know, they'd like, t- you know, ripped off the corner of a of a piece of paper and, and said, could you sign this for me, please? And I'd stand there going, but I'm just the same as 
you know as as you you know I, i'm no one special and I, and you try telling a an eight nine year old you know boy or girl that you, you can't so i you know i was really embarrassed about signing scrap pieces of paper so i i um i started taking in postcards and i i need to start doing that again i haven't done that for for, for a couple of years but you know that to me was just as rewarding um then then standing you know at a, an isolated part of the world you know because the world still the world still turns you know and and for me a, a big part is is what you do with that experience defines kind of who you are and creates legacy and 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 having legacy and purpose i go back to my earlier in a, in a comment about you know i i feel that i need to have a purpose and and goals and challenges in in life and and you know being able to uh, to retell you know retell my story and to share that story is is a is a you know ticks all of those boxes really uh, for me so yeah so it sounds like a, a very selfless task that that you're saying look i've reached here what where can you reach yeah very much and 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 that's you know i've now run uh, I've now run a, um, a community interest company and our polar ambassador program is, has been, um, um, has been running now for over a decade. And I think that at, at our last count, we had just passed over the, the 1000 school mark, you know, so we've collectively, we've, you know, we've, we've really, you know, helped raise young people's understanding of the, of the, of the polar world really. Yeah. Okay. That sounds so that's an incredible uh, purpose-driven pursuit. So that you're perhaps uh, I'm I'm almost assuming now that whilst you're sort of going through the preparation and the rigors and the the, the discomfort of the actual expedition, that that you're thinking bigger and um, and that you can sort of share that pain with the with the purpose. I, I'm suffering now, but but it's all worth it because it's a cause that's bigger than me. Yeah. And, um, you know, we get schools from all over the UK and, and further afield saying, can you can you come visit our class? But unfortunately, it's time consuming. And, you know, you know, with travel and 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 other commitments and, you know, we, we have to we have to charge and and schools with challenging budgets might not always have the funding to do that so to physically go and visit schools um there are there are limitations to what you can do as an individual so i set up a an ambassador program to enhance the distribution and number of schools that we could we could target and whilst i was at plymouth university i was there going well hang on a minute could we do this digitally um could we you know, recruit even more, you know, professional people and and university students. And could we link that into into the classroom for for free? So when I was away um, skiing on Baffin Island, and the and this idea, you know, came from uh, the ability that whilst I was away, I had a satellite phone, and I had like a, a little PDA, or what was a PDA, and a um um you know and a little camera so students and you could blog from you know and and lots of adventurers do that you know um 
you know, you could blog and send out a, a report each day. But what was really neat is that a teacher in a classroom or a student could then read that blog. They could go to the satellite phone website and they could send a text message for free uh, to that satellite phone. So wherever I was around the world, you know, I could, you know, receive a, a question from a from a classroom. And then I could answer that question in the uh, in the blog. And, you know, I realized that well, if you were aged eight and you could send, you know, a question to, you know, about penguins to, you know, to Antarctica and someone could respond back. Well, you know, that would have been mind blowing for you know, for me, aged aged eight, when I first started learning about Antarctica, that was incredible. You know, so the wow factor is being able to, you know, respond back. And then if if you can link in other professionals, when we went to Baffin Islands, we had Inuit hunters, we had um, members of um, um, uh, Parks Canada, we had like polar scientists, um, all able to answer questions from the classroom so it's almost like you know me being the adventurer and my teammates we were the catalyst to open up this entire kind of rich you know curriculum content from from different different people and get different people's point of view on on topical issues of like climate change and 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 other things and um you know and and children could explore that via via our, our very early website and that was that was really cool um mm. so the north pole expedition was was an extension of that you know the the countless baffin island projects that we've done we've even taken um uh, primary school children from plymouth out to uh to northern finland on a on a husky safari but meeting the Sami people and then video, videoing the experience and blogging that back so their classmates can can ask them questions uh, about the experience themselves. And that's yeah. really powerful as well. You know, so so I've always been interested about how to document those experiences. But then how could I create a, div, a digital mechanism, a process which would enable other professional people to communicate into schools as well yeah wow i'm getting goosebumps just hearing about that and wondering what it would have been like as a as an eight ten year old kid just just being able to connect with that sort of idea yeah uh, in the same way that i would have tuned into the 84 olympics or something and been inspired by by seb co but that here you're talking about doing this deliberately you i mean you're taking extra kit to do this um <laughs> whether yeah. it's drones or satellite wi-fi or whatever it might be so what what goes into the planning and the logistics of actually delivering it yeah so i think the um you know the the idea of brute force determination and, and effort will i think that concept is is um is outdated uh, i really i really do i so i think you have to to really train and prepare for for every eventuality and you have to um and you have to be you know physically and mentally fit before getting onto the ice um and, and what would that look like we um we posted we posted on our facebook site some that we would be 
talking to you uh, today. And and one of the questions that, that has come in from Liam Oliver was how you distribute your time and, and effort in preparation to it. So how much is is a, is a logistics uh, operation of making sure you've got all the, the plans in place versus yeah. how much is pulling tires on a beach or training up hills physically and uh, or, or doing reconnaissance trips how, how do you distribute that time okay that, that is a really good question and and thanks to liam for for asking that i'd say um two ways really I, up until 2010 when i did the north pole um it was it was interesting because nobody was paying me and nobody has ever paid me to to do uh, expeditions i'd say you have to you know you have to fundraise you have to write grants um and you have to be prepared to put in your your own money in order to to make the projects happen um and i think the bigger the projects get then you know of course there's there's more emphasis on the grant writing and the sponsorship um you know and and more effort needs to go into 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 that and of course you have to then also balance how you financially you know make the projects happen with it with being um prepped physically and mentally to to succeed and that's really challenging so 2010, um, before I did the North Pole expedition, uh, that North Pole was number expedition number 10. So I believe at that time that being out there in the environment, learning the skills, honing your skills and being physically active was was prepping me physically to, to succeed in and, and increasing my knowledge base in order to uh, succeed on um, on sea ice but then you, you need to stop <laughs> being in that environment in order to try and find the uh, the um, the finance so um, I spent a lot of time at night um, dragging tires on on Dartmoor uh, why at night because during the day I was I was having to try and um, you know do all of the business side of it you know trying to trying to find the sponsorship and and I, I found that very very challenging um, um, and it was a really really incredibly difficult balance of doing the business side of it and doing the the physical side and to be honest I probably did it wrong as well. I didn't quite have that balance, that mix right. Now, what happened when I did my South Pole expedition is that I was lucky enough that I had an office at the university. I had a, you know, a team of, um, you know, of some staff who were, you know, who were delivering my school outreach as well as handling, you know, some of the the marketing side and the business side. So that allowed me to spend more time uh, training. Right. So, okay. so suddenly I had I had a personal trainer. You know, I had a nutritionist. Um, so I was training three uh, three days a, a week at least uh, in a gym. Um, doing you know circuit training and, and building up my my stamina, um, whereas the North Pole I didn't have any of that you know and I was just trying to get the training in where I could as well as you know uh, trying to find the 
get the project off the ground. So, That's, yeah. Okay, so this is a really interesting dynamic that you're you are literally balancing act of of that you've got to prepare for physically and mentally to to do this. So I would imagine that that pulling tires in Dartmoor is the physical component, but as much as you think there's a mental toughness aspect to this that you're building. Yeah. But, but equally offset against the, the work that's necessary to make this actually happen um, by keeping stakeholders happy, seeking further funding, etc. I'm just leaping into the sort of delivery when you actually go on the expedition. Yeah. Could you tell us a little bit about what it's actually like actually did it doing one of these uh, on the ground? Uh, what's a day look like? So, um, down on Antarctica to um, uh, skiing to the to the South Pole, um, you're skiing across a continent, you know, and, and it's you know it's an ice cap. So ice cap crossings are very different to sea ice, um, and I'll talk about sea ice based expeditions a, a little bit a little bit in a minute in a second as well but down on antarctica because you're skiing across an ice cap then yes there's crevasses to worry about but um but the rest of the the project is 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 pretty straightforward so i'd wake up in the morning at around 6 a.m so this is where the routine really really helps right okay so 6 a.m wake up melt snow uh reheat your water from the night before have breakfast pack up your gear collapse the tent start skiing so that should take an hour and a half no more so you start skiing at 7 30 and i ski for an hour and 10 minutes and i ski for an hour and 10 minutes because my i can cover two nautical miles every hour and 10 minutes uh that's just kind of my 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 pace mm-hmm. um and then you stop and then you've got just 10 minutes to eat and drink a little bit uh, before then continuing on for another hour and 10 minutes. So you do that for, you know, you have eight shifts in a day um, and then hopefully, you know, about 12 hours later uh, at the end of the day, you know, you, it's time to pitch your tent. You've skied 15, 16 uh, nautical miles, pitch your tent inside, uh melt snow heat up enough water have your evening meal do your blog and respond to to questions and emails that takes about three hours repair any gear that needs to be repaired and then you know get a good night's sleep of about six hours seven hours and then it's up again and and out the door and having that routine you know is is um is you know every day then you know the the project just happens you know and and starts to you know, you find comfort in that routine. Um, aim for a week, aim for two weeks. You've done your first month, you know, and the rest of it is, excuse the pun, but downhill from there. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's um, it's 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 relatively straightforward. And and I do almost sort of approach it with that, I suppose, that little bit of military, you know, ironically, you know, military precision. But you know, it's it's. Um, it's it's mapping it out like that and having a routine routine and and sticking to it yeah and and so what would be the duration of the south pole expedition so the south pole i was was aiming for 55 days and um i managed to ski it in in 46 which was which was pretty cool um uh the north pole over over the the moving sea ice that we did that in in 51 days yeah 
So how do you? So another question we've had on the on the Facebook from Sam Porter about maintaining psychological stability and interpersonal communication in isolated and, and extreme environments. How how do you manage that? Because you you talked about feeling a bit isolated on a boat na- uh, when you're in the navy, but but here there is a, a higher level of isolation. Um, how do you maintain yourself in that situation? Ah, that's a really good question. I like the South Pole and and other projects as well. Um, I'll describe actually standing on the ice and you wave goodbye to the you know the the plane or the the Inuit outfitter that's that's dropped you off you know on snowmobile and then you stand there and you and you wave goodbye and you know suddenly there's there's silence you know it it really hits you that you're you're on your own or with with a team um but in that moment for me comes peace and and clarity i can i can finally finally relax um so being on the ice you know with your teammates or on your own it doesn't matter yeah but you've made it you've actually made right. it to the start point um so all of that the training the fundraising the you know everything else that that goes on the lost luggage yeah the 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 flight transfers the you know the bad weather delays like everything everything building up to that point once you get on the ice actually there in that that starting block i suppose if you if you want to put it like that you know suddenly you've made it nothing else matters yeah you can actually then just enjoy the experience and and um and enjoy being in that environment and so yes there's isolation yes uh you know mentally you might perceive it as being incredibly tough but for me that's the easy bit is being on the ice and i i love that yeah that's something you've learned to to adopt anthony because i think some some athletes can actually train so hard and they get caught up in the the process of it and then when they get to the start line it almost feels like oh it's an anxiety now i ha- now i have to deliver and yeah. that bubbles up as opposed to being able to celebrate that moment and think this is what i've done it for possibly i've just always enjoyed sitting on a rock at a beach or this morning um being up in there taking taking alfie for a walk and and seeing the the new you know um buds coming out on the trees or the you know the dew in spiders webs and stuff i've i've you know i enjoy just being um i suppose close to nature and having that moment with nature and i've i've always enjoyed that whether that's growing up in you know in plymouth and taking part in ten tours or learning to surf or rock climb or going away skiing and snowboarding or and being in the mountains or 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 you know or the you know being a, a tour guide and an expedition leader being having those moments close to nature i've always felt um i've always felt connected and at peace um and still do you know and still do and and then take me to that moment of once you get to the the pole uh 
<laughs> how, do you, how do you feel at that that point? I, I presume you're tired, and presume you're hungry, presume you've lost some weight, and uh, you could do with a comfortable bed. Um, how do, you've got huge connection with your purpose? Uh, you've got a responsibility to the people that have backed you, um, but but you've done it, you've delivered it. How does it feel when you reach that that point? I guess I've I've also gone through a bit of a personal well you know i've definitely gone through a personal journey over the years when when i did the north pole expedition i was i was very focused on achieving um and standing at the north pole and i think i think that was just because it was such a large undertaking um and only around 200 people have ever traveled from lands actually to the to the pole so to stand at the north pole for me aged 29 was such a big thing and people were you know people have always said you know the classic you know it's not about the destination it's the journey i think at age 29 um even though i was you know feeling you know i enjoyed being on that changing seascape for me standing at the north pole was was such a dream come true um and such a you know a big undertaking and, and and such a big project um and i was like wow you know it's it, no it's all about the destination i've made it you know this is this is such an incredible thing and you know oh and by the way it looks exactly the same as the rest of the expedition you know there is <laughs> there is no red or white striped pole at the north pole you know it's you know you stand there looking at your gps and and um and you know, as soon as you're at 90 degrees north, <laughs> you start drifting off that point. So you have to keep walking just to, to stand there. And you're like, hey, this is pretty. Oh, no, we've just moved. Oh, OK. You know, oh, so you're now jealous of Mallory climbing Everest, thinking at least, you know, you're there. It's such a it was such a bizarre, you know, and then we you know a Russian helicopter came out and picked us up. And then suddenly we're. You know, in the back of this helicopter with, you know, about 30 odd, you know, tourists that have been flown up to, you know, and are busy taking photographs of the crazies that have just skied from Canada. It was such a surreal, surreal moment. Um, But then but then at the South Pole, you still have that, you know, overwhelming feeling of success um, and achievement and and. Yeah, I think that's the best way to describe it. Any project that you do, you you do have a, a huge, you know, a, a huge feeling of success and achievement. Definitely, yeah. And then a quick blog and uh, some more postcards. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, that so uh, amazing achievements there. But but you've got this bigger purpose, and just tell us a little bit more about the some of the programs that you're working on now that where where you're connecting this this idea and this inspiration of endeavor uh with a with a wider community yeah so that idea of linking you know scientists and researchers and you know into schools well about three years ago a, a teacher said well that's really incredible that's really good but have you thought about linking um other professions and I went away and started scratching my head and going, oh, I wonder if, you know, could we make this even even bigger still? And 
and so I came up with the idea of 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 like to be like to be is is a is a networking platform I suppose similar to to LinkedIn and and Facebook but it it actually has an educational purpose um so that people joining like to be can document their story in terms of their career story so that young people can access that and can uh, wherever they are around the around the country um so that they can learn from that experience and they can become um i suppose their their future self and so this is my next big project is is building like to be building our online community working out the i suppose the technical uh challenges of the of the platform and the user experience and and being able to change how we deliver career or not change it but just being able to enrich how we deliver career advice in schools and to young people um and i believe that if we can create um a digital component we can digitalize that career engagement between professional people and and young people and that's that's really what we're or what i'm what i'm delivering at the moment and building at the moment yeah so, sounds amazing and but also in keeping with the the route that you've taken through from this funny career advice to the to the career choices that just misfired a little bit for you but but that you're connecting back to to the next generation of, of people pursuing their hopes and dreams do you know i've never set out to i never set out to be a polar adventurer i never set out really to be a um you know to be a um you know i suppose you know a social entrepreneur or an entrepreneur um but one thing's just happen you know it it all boils down to just having that interest uh, my interest at age eight was penguins um and then my journey throughout life has definitely had its ops and it's definitely had its downs. Um, and hopefully I've still got quite a few more ops and downs to, to come, you know, but, you know, but I've, I've gone from one thing to another, to another that's enabled me to, you know, to develop ideas and to, and to, and to develop different projects. And I've, I've really enjoyed that. I've always been a, I've always been a thinker and I've always been, you know, I've never shied away from a challenge, and 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 now I'm just looking to build a a business that has purpose and that can help deliver something back into our our global community. Yeah. And if people can help and connect, what what can they do? What were the things that could accelerate that that connection and inspiration for uh, for the next generation of of our people? Yeah, sure. Well, I'm definitely looking for uh, ambassadors at the moment. Um, so we're going for a big launch in September this year. So um, people who currently or would like to engage with schools um, and understands that, you know, you can only do so much in the um, in the year um, because of other commitments. If you'd like to do it digitally and and connect with schools online, um, then I'd be I'd be delighted to to hear hear from you. Um, um, so the easiest way to do that is literally create a profile 
unlike to be and um and, and get in touch with me and uh, it would be a pleasure for anyone who would like to join our community and uh, and to um communicate with schools yeah so we'll definitely include the links on the on the podcast show notes for that um, magic what have you got any other expeditions other, other than a digital expedition <laughs> yeah um so i'm just small things really i'm kind of i'm off to the alps in the summer to go do a bit of a bit of mountaineering and um and and get out and do that um i i'm probably going to head down to antarctica again next winter uh it's going to be more you know antarctic uh summer um so this would be my my sixth season going down south which would be pretty neat um um and that's about it really i've got a couple of other projects lined up for the next two years but um but you'll have to wait and see what what <laughs> what those are <laughs> yeah you need to hatch the plan first before it becomes public i've got a couple of plans but i need to uh i need to make sure that they're they're uh they're solid before they go before they go (laughs) too too public yeah but i've got i like that yeah i've got a couple that sounds like a similar motto that you'd use for skiing on sea ice yeah (laughs) make sure it's solid before we go yeah odds you know i'd love to this is this would this would be the project that i would love to to uh, to do um so back in i think it was 2013 uh ken borick um the logistics outfitter that used to fly up um and do the logistics from from canada uh, stopped their flights up to up to ellesmere island and what's that what that has meant for the adventure world is that there's a big debate going on that you know, maybe a, a full North Pole expedition uh, from land to the pole is no longer possible. Um, so lots of people do like the last degree or the last two, you know, two degrees. Um, you know, that that's still possible. Um, but that's, you know, the last 60, 100 miles. And in my mind, that's not a full, you know, North Pole expedition. I would love to try and work out if you could, you know, charter your own pilot and plane and and do, you know, an, you know, another North Pole expedition because moving sea ice, that environment is is incredible. It's so it's beautiful, but it's scary as hell as well. It's yeah. like it's the hardest thing I've I've ever done. At, but at the same time, it's the most incredible environment to be you know to be um to be expeditioning in uh, the sea ice it collides together it breaks apart it's you know at times you have to swim you know there's a real danger of falling through the ice it's bitterly bitterly cold you know anything from minus five down to about i think the coldest we had it was was minus uh, you know, was was minus uh, 50, 55 at one point centigrade. You know, so it's it's bitterly, bitterly cold. But it, at the same time, it's just it's such an amazing part of the planet to to visit. Um, and yet, you know, it's completely inaccessible um, at the moment. You know, so I'd I'd love to I'd love to go back there, but the cost of it would be astronomical. I think to 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 mount it. Um, right today but I'd, I'd love to do that 
It sounds like you could be the Elon Musk or the Richard Branson of of North Pole expeditions rather than going to Mars. <laughs> <laughs> you you think next year, 2020, will be the 200th year anniversary of discovering Antarctica. You know, and and Scott, you know, and Armington got to the South Pole. You know, in uh, 1912. So that's what, you know, just over, you know, 107 years ago. You know, the world has changed so much in that in that space of time, you know, space of time. You know, I just think it's incredible with what will be seen in the next 50 to 100 years since, you know, what's advancements in technology and and travel and kind of opportunities will there be will, you know will you know being space tourists in <laughs> in uh you know off to the moon and all, all the rest of it i mean crikey it's uh that's what excites me that's you know there's there's so much potential and opportunity um out there you know to yeah so it's, it's really interesting well it's fascinating stuff anthony and you know whether it's from penguins to poles to purpose of postcards so i'm getting um <laughs> i'm getting a real sense of uh inspiration from the expeditions that you're doing but but the purpose that you're connecting with and engaging and inspiring uh a community uh school uh, uh, a young person looking up and thinking what's ahead for me um so um thank you so much for joining us on the podcast Oh no problem. Well, thank thank you ever so much for the uh, for the invitation and um, yeah, I really love hearing my story. If you'd like to follow more of what Anthony does, then go to his website anthonyginman.com and on Twitter at PolarAJ, and take a look at his social enterprise, liketobe.org. You can follow us too on Twitter at support underscore champs and me at Ingham underscore Steve. And you can follow us on Instagram, YouTube. We have a Facebook page and a Facebook group site for some discussion. And you can subscribe through the website supportingchampions.co.uk. And if you're feeling like supporting and championing us, then please do leave a review on iTunes.